Welcome to the Parents at Work podcast, a podcast for the modern parent working in the modern world. Join us as we interview leading experts in their fields to unveil the secrets working parents need to succeed at work. Welcome to Parents at Work, a podcast for people who want to succeed and thrive at work while they have kids. The podcast is sponsored by the Spiegel Law Firm, a firm that empowers people who have been wrongfully fired or who are afraid that they might be. My name is Lori Mahalik-Levin, and I'm the co-host of the podcast, a healthcare attorney and the founder of a program called Mindful Return that helps employees transition back to work after parental leave and helps employers retain their new parent talent. My co-host, Tom Spiegel, was unfortunately unable to join us today, but he'll be back for our next episode. As you might know if you've listened in the past, on the Parents at Work podcast every month, we interview working parents in a different industry or sector. Today, I'm so incredibly delighted to welcome a physician mom to our podcast to talk about what it's like to be a doctor and a mom simultaneously. Today, I'm really delighted to have with us Dr. Noel Johansson, who is a clinical associate professor of medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine where she sees patients and teaches residents and medical students, and is also medical director of Stanford HealthCare's Clinical Advice Services. Noelle is married to her wonderful husband, John, and they have a 20-month-old boy named Zaid and another baby boy on the way who's due in just four months. Congratulations, Noelle, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much, Lori. I'm really happy to be here. Great. Well, Noelle, I know you personally, but our audience does not. And so I was wondering if you could tell us all a little bit about your own personal working parent story. Oh, sure. So I was fortunate enough to actually to meet Lori as a undergrad at Princeton during our freshman year. And I did my schooling all out east. And I came out to California to Stanford for my residency 13 years ago now. And I stayed on as faculty. As a lot of physicians who enter medicine in the grueling hours of residency, I had not met my spouse in my early 30s yet. And so I was so focused on medicine. So of course, my fertility was delayed. So I was fortunate enough to get married when I was 35. And then I was already a clinical assistant professor at Stanford at that time when I had my first child. And, you know, I think a lot of physicians can relate to this is that, you know, finding time essentially to fit in having children, it's almost a matter of how do you fit it in to your career. Thanks for sharing that, Noelle. Yeah, I know your story is definitely one that many professionals share. And the decision of the timing of when to have a child is a really challenging one for a lot of people. How would you describe if you had to sort of zoom out and think more broadly about what it's like to be a mom in medicine these days? Oh, gosh, I think it's, you know, it being a mom in general, I know is challenging. And the demands of being a physician are challenging in and of themselves. I think most people who enter medicine are in medicine for the long term, consider it, you know, a lifestyle, because, you know, our patients never go away, you know, they can be sick at any hour and our commitment to taking care of patients and staying up to date on medicine in general. It's really all-consuming, especially since you spent your whole training and career, you know, really focusing on medicine. There was very little time to do other things during our training. You have this mindset that is always number one. And so 
when starting a family, it's almost like you have to reset your frame of mind in terms of what does this balance look like in terms of being a mother and having a family and also being dedicated to your work and really the lives of people you're taking care of. It can seem daunting, but there's, I've, you know, through experience have learned ways to navigate it where I actually feel just much more whole as a person and much more fulfilled And I think my patients see that as well and my colleagues, because I am a happier person being a mother and a physician. Mm, What a great point. Yeah, I talk a lot about the strengths that, you know, working parents gain by being working parents that we can then bring to their to our jobs. And I suspect there's a lot of overlap there in terms of how you interact with patients and things that you've learned by being a parent. Is there anything that comes to mind that you think you gain through working parenthood that you also are able to apply in that practice of medicine? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, I'm as an internist, I treat all people of 18 and older. So a lot of what I do is, you know, a lot of patients' medical problems stem from social issues or the meaning behind their well-being. A lot of it stems from their you know, home life and their relationship with their family and friends. And so understanding that more beyond, you know, just being a doctor, but myself experiencing it helps me relate better to them. And honestly, they're always very thrilled when they, you know, they always ask me about my family, my children and are very, you know, excited to hear developments about my child. So it is that understanding that there is, you know, a social structure at home that really makes a difference in terms of your well-being and how you function in this world. Mm, Yeah, definitely. When you were pregnant with Zaid and then when you became a working parent for the first time, were there any workplace supports that you found particularly helpful as you went through that process of transitioning to working parenthood? Yeah, I think it was a challenge for sure. I think the first year honestly was exhausting and overwhelming. Luckily, I had, you know, really surveyed a lot of my colleagues who had children recently or had gone through it as I did returning back into clinical practice, which doesn't have a lot of leeway in terms of time to pump, for example. I mean, we're given about 15 minutes to get all your things ready and pump and make it to the next patient, which is virtually impossible. But, you know, at least I had access to a lot of working moms within medicine to kind of give me advice about how much time to take off and, you know, what I should do in terms of, you know, what are my options for pumping at work and in the hospital and meetings and are the, is the administration flexible, for example, on adjusting your clinic times. I think a lot of it is also realizing that, you know, you, things are not set set in stone. And I found that a lot of people are able to carve oh, a schedule or a not necessarily just the regular mold of seeing patients every 20 minutes that because if you are a valued employee, which luckily, you know, I had shown my value and, you know, most physicians are who are dedicated are very valued that, you know, if you continue to show your value, that there are other ways to structure your work so that there is some flexibility when wanting to also care for your child and be there, you know, and not stay late every day, for example. So I was able to negotiate those kind of things also because I had the support and mentorship of some other women within 
my practice. Yeah. You mentioned that you had had that mentoring around issues like pumping and how to make that work and perhaps around how much time to take off as well. Could you talk a little bit about how much time you took the first time versus what you're thinking about the second time? And also, how did you navigate the only 15-minute windows to be able to pump? Oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a whole other story. I mean, but you know, gosh, those days, I can't, I'm, I'm a little anxious about them coming again so soon. But <laughs> so in terms of navigating time off and so forth. So, you know, I, we're fortunate enough in America, the United States has a ways to go in terms of paid maternity leave or guaranteed leave, as you know. Amen, sister. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, I'm very fortunate. And I know I'm fortunate that my work will compensate us for a month off before delivery, and then 12 weeks after a standard delivery, vaginal delivery, or 16 weeks for a C-section. And that is you are compensated for that time. You're then allowed to take, I think, an additional 12 weeks, but that would be unpaid. So I've had a lot of colleagues who actually did the unpaid leave, but I felt that the three, the 12 weeks after my delivery would be fine. And it was ready to go back to work by then. But I did know that I wanted the extra time before delivering just health-wise. And I was very comfortable with doing that. I think there is always this background guilt of feeling like you don't want to be away for too long, or especially since patients rely on you. I have my own set of patients, but you know, you realize it goes by very quickly. And when you come back, everyone's just eager to see you and, you know, things go back to normal. So, but you know, everyone has a personal reason for wanting to take shorter or longer. I haven't seen anyone want to take shorter, honestly but a longer time. And I think a lot of it has to do with the financial ability to do that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And any um, advice or thoughts on pumping? Yeah. So pumping, I mean, the reality is it's tiresome and it's one of the, it's a very big challenge when you're working full time to do it, but it is, you know, obviously extremely rewarding to be able to offer that to your child. And so, you know, I think, first of all, women should know that they have the right to do it. And it is something that in their workplace does need to accommodate. So I hear about I had an assistant who was didn't even think she was going to do it just because she thought, oh, I'm going back to work, I can't. But I think one thing is I encourage women to at least give it a try. And if you can't, you can't. I mean, you know, I was my brother and I were never where we're, I think, breastfed for maybe four weeks and then on the bottle. So I think people also, I don't want women to feel like it's something shameful if they can't breastfeed their children. There's a lot of guilt no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of guilt. But no, I mean, other than the fact that I had, you know, literally, like I said, 15 to 20 minutes to rush to my office change, you know, clean the bottles to do everything and then come back to a patient who's, you know, then you're supposed to be like a Zen again and seeing a patient. Uh, it was humorous after thinking about it now. But you know, just like anything else, it, it just becomes part of your day. And I'm very happy that I was able to do it. And I had a private room to do it in. And I think that's really nice. Yeah, that could be really helpful. I know. Are there as you look back to when you went through maternity leave and return and you're thinking of doing it again, not thinking of doing it again, you're about to do it again. Were there any supports that you didn't have, but you think that other parents might benefit from? Yeah, I think, you know, honestly, the biggest thing was 
for us, my family and my husband's family don't live in the area. So any support that we were going to have, those that we would really have to call upon. And, you know, we were fortunate enough to find a wonderful nanny. It took some time, but she's been wonderful in our life. And, you know, it's funny, she starts at 7am and leaves at four, and it still seems like a very short time. I We're still exhausted, you know, in the evening time. So the more help you can get, you know, and I feel more comfortable now asking, you know, for friends and, you know, help if they offer, you know, we're happy to do babysitting. I used to be afraid to do that, but we're getting more comfortable with that sort of thing. I think just having more access to childcare in general is a challenge for most working parents. Um, we never, you know, found a daycare that we got into right away that we felt very comfortable with. So maybe having more access there or, you know, as part of your work or near your work would be nice. Maybe even more support groups with women physicians in particular, I think would be helpful. I think every it, things are more informal in that sense in my workplace. But I do think that having like a working moms support group specifically for physicians, because I do think our experiences can be unique in the profession we're in would be nice. Yeah, I think those in particular. Yeah asking for support and receiving it and allowing people to do things for you to help you is such a big hurdle for a lot of us as parents to overcome, but one that's so critical to maintaining our own sanity, I think, in working parenthood. And one thing that I just wanted to mention for listeners out there is that if you have founded or if you are intending to found a working parent group at your workplace, feel free to reach out to me at lori at mindfulreturn.com. That's L-O-R-I at mindfulreturn.com. I've got a Google group going called the Working Parent Group Network that's full of leaders of working parent groups at all sorts of different organizations. And so we can help you get that group off the ground if that's something you ever are inspired to start, Noel, or any of your colleagues. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Now, I know this wasn't your individual experience, but because we're talking about medicine, I do want to reflect for a minute. And if you can help me think about for a minute what it is potentially like what you've seen when someone who is a resident gets pregnant and has a baby during residency. Is there any advice you can give to someone in that space or just what you've seen or experienced while you've been going through that process? I know you had your baby after you were already a practicing physician, but I've heard about struggles of people who are in the residency programs. I think one of the biggest struggles is the, the ability to take time off. I think that's the biggest challenge is that as a resident, if you take more than just a very short leave. Most residents won't take the full 12 weeks postpartum because they will have to add on additional time after their official graduation date. So and most people want to graduate, you know, with their fellow residents also because when you apply for fellowship, there usually starts, you know, in that July. So you would technically have to wait a whole year. So a lot of things can get delayed. I think as a couple things, you know, timing is important. So trying to do it when you ideally not in your internship, if you can time your pregnancy and you want to get pregnant during your residency, ideally the internship is usually the most rigorous and then you have more flexibility with some research blocks and so forth. So you, there can be a way of actually requesting a research month, for example, 
during your postpartum time. So you're really or an outpatient rotation. So you're not missing as much. I also think, you know, if you're contemplating pregnancy before even getting into whatever residency, thinking about the environment that in the residency program, you can usually can ask around and can tell and have a feeling whether the program director and the the management within the residency program are supportive of working moms who have children. You know, it's becoming fairly common for residents to have. And I admire them so much. I mean, I always think how amazing it is that they can take this long call. And I think, you know, you just have to be realistic and know that you do need to find that childcare and as much support as possible. And like we said, you know, ask for as much home support as possible to help care for your child. Great. Thanks. Yeah, those are some really practical tips. If you look across the practice of medicine, the field of medicine, academic medicine, and you think about changes that are happening in the field that you work in that aren't necessarily related to parenthood or working parenthood, are there changes or themes or evolutions that you see happening in the field of medicine that you think are having an impact on working parents? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I think that field of medicine really is evolving. I think one big topic that has been very on the radar of most physicians and the healthcare community in general is actually physician burnout. The burnout rates are quite high within a lot of specialties in medicine, including primary care, internal medicine, surgical specialties. And so, and then these are often the fields where we need the most frontline physicians. I think a lot of physicians find clinical care really exhausting, just the way that medicine is structured. It's still structured on a RVU basis or really you make money based on how many patients you see. And that can be a big challenge for working moms, working parents, because that's the area where you have the least flexibility and we don't have desk jobs where you can take breaks and schedule meetings or schedule things to do for your child or, you know, be able to come home early. If you have a patient that needs to be seen, you just can't. And so I think there is a push and pull from the healthcare system that wants us to, you know, see as many patients as possible and There's a lot of demands there. But then now with this increased awareness of physician burnout, I think there's a lot of opportunity. And I'm involved with the wellness committee at Stanford and Stanford created a WellMD center specifically focused on physician wellness. So you can see how important that topic has become and that now the conversation has moved to how can we structure physicians' lives and their professional careers so that they can feel fulfilled and also have, you know, a home life so that they can practice for 30, 40 years, not 10 years, and then leave medicine altogether, which is happening all too often. We need a lot of clinical frontline staff and a lot of people are moving into business or administration because of the demands of clinical care. But I think that will continue to change as also how the healthcare system is changing to more value-based care. So it's not necessarily based on the volume of patients you see, but how well you take care of them. So there's novel ways of taking care of patients such as video visits or telephone visits or electronic, you know, just communication. If we can keep our patients healthy that way, then 
then that might allow for more flexibility for all physicians. And, you know, there's, we have a physician on our team now who works, who just had a baby who works from home doing video visits and her baby's just in the next room. So I think there's a lot of opportunity there. And I'm optimistic that things will continue to improve for working physicians. Yeah, the technology is a wonderful thing that, you know, can definitely enable us to do things like see patients remotely, and it can encroach on our lives in lots of different ways. Yeah, I am just reflecting on the fact that, well, first of all, the wellness theme has come up in a number of these podcasts. I think many different industries and sectors are focused on the wellness of their employees now, which is reassuring. And then also, it strikes me that there might be some parallels between the legal world's billable hours and your RVUs and efforts within the legal profession to shift to more creative models of billing that aren't just based on six minute increments, which can be really, you know, challenging for parents. So there's hope that there are forces that are pushing these industries in new directions, definitely. So Noelle, after having been at this parenthood thing for a couple of years and about to have baby number two, what is your number one best piece of advice for navigating life as a working parent? Wow, that's a good question. I think the number one piece of advice is be kind to yourself. <laughs> I think, you know, in general, if a lot of us have demanding jobs and we want to be perfectionists in all realms of our life, but I think that it just tell yourself it's okay. And it's okay, for example, to want to leave work early and you know, say no to a project or say no to something that you usually would have already, you know been the manager of. And then it's also okay to say, you know what, I'm gonna let the nanny stay one extra hour because I really want to go get a massage, I need a break myself. And so you just have to say or you know, if you're not going to make dinner for your family, you're gonna do your kids gonna eat chicken tenders tonight, you know, I think all of those things is that you just have to be kind to yourself, and always recognize you know, the wonderful things you're doing, try to live in the moment as much as possible with your child. I mean, now just this afternoon, I sat on the balcony and my son was looking for airplanes in the sky. And, you know, I just was able to sit and appreciate and be thankful for this time I had with him. And that's something I want to do on a daily basis is just really, you know, experience that gratitude and mindfulness knowing that things can be crazy, but it's okay. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's such beautiful advice. And I also should put in a plug for the fact that going to the airport just to watch the airplanes with your child can be a really fantastic outing, especially when the weather is bad. And we've definitely in DC made trips to the airport when nobody was going on a flight simply to watch them. <laughs> and go on the moving walkways and we ride the bus from terminal to terminal. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe Zaid can have an uh, airport field trip in his future, yes. So what's your number one book for surviving life as a working parent? Ah, good. Well, then, of course, other than Lori, <laughs> your wonderful, mindful return book and training course. I think, honestly, it's not necessarily one book, but I think that the thing that in medicine that has helped me so much and also helped me is just a mother and family member is my training in compassion cultivation and mindfulness. 
that so Kristen Neff, she's a self-compassion guru. She has a website. She's a psychologist now based in Texas, but there's a lot of great thought leaders in compassion cultivation. She's one of the bigger ones. Stanford also has a C-Care Institute, which is essentially compassion cultivation institute and training. I went through a training course and I like to read about compassion and self-compassion and compassion for others. And it sounds like, you know, oh gosh, you know, we already have so much compassion, you know, for our family and, and other people, but it's about practicing self-compassion and mindfulness and learning how to give to others because as a parent, you're constant. It's like the biggest job of giving and giving and giving, right? And I always actually think about how Oprah talked about how so that was like the hardest job. And that's why she decided not to have children because it's the most selfless job you can have. And in order to give compassion, you also have to show self-compassion and, you know, to avoid, you know, we use this phrase burnout for work, but to avoid burning out as a parent, I think being mindful of how, you know, how much you're able to give to someone else, but also allowing that not to consume you or, you know, when something is going wrong and your child is having a tantrum or, you know, you're just, they're sick, you know, not letting that eat you up or just make you melt down, but learning to be mindful of, you know, what you're going through and that knowing, saying that everything is going to be okay, people suffer, but I can get through this um, has been really invaluable, both in my professional and personal life. So I think that's a long-winded way of telling you that in terms of a book, but I would say just, you know, reading on self-compassion, Kristen Neff is a good start. There's also the greater good foundation that comes out of Berkeley that is also focused on compassion. So just going to their website and reading about that, I think is really nice. Great. Yeah. And we'll put the links to those references in the show notes for this podcast. Is there any particular self-compassion practice that you can tell us about that you've learned maybe through your training that you think working moms would benefit from doing, even if it's something relatively simple? Yeah. So there's different ways to practice, you know, that people might have heard of like the three good things about, you know, before you go to bed, writing down the three good things that happened that day. There's a lot of small practices you can do of just, you know, you don't have to become a meditation guru. A lot of people think, oh gosh, I'm, I can't just sit and meditate every day. I don't have time or patience to do that. But I think part of it is also even just acknowledging or naming, what I found is that sometimes if you're in the moment and feeling stressed, for example, just even being able to name that emotion and say, wow, this is really difficult. You know, I'm very tired and, you know, my patient is giving, you know, is being difficult with me, but it's okay. And, you know, other people have been in this situation and I can manage it as well. And so just even, I would say, just small little things that you can recognize is enough of a, you don't have to start doing long, you know, half an hour practice of self-compassion, but it's about reframing your difficult situations. And I found that invaluable. Also, there are short meditations that I learned through the practice and that I've given actually through talks, both nationally and internationally for other physicians on compassion. And, you know, I'm happy to share links 
to those as well. And I find those, and even I do some right now being pregnant, I've been doing some just regular meditation. I find that very comforting and soothing. Just 10 minutes has really been nice and the time to unwind and, and silence the mind. Yeah. If you are willing to share those meditations, we would gladly link to them. I'm sure people would be anxious to try them out. So our last question about number one is, do you have a number one piece of technology has helped you as a working parent? Ah, technology. I'd have to say I'm soaked on technology so much during my work day that I tend to try to avoid technology when I get home. (laughs) So it's kind of a little bit of the opposite that I've tried to train myself to put down my phone when my son is at home and because he's We'll start to grab my phone and everything. Or any tips and tricks for putting it down. That's another alternative route we could take there. <laughs> yeah, just hide it. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're not on call, actually, one good advice that someone at work gave, which I thought was really funny, is that, you know, there's no need to check your email multiple times in the evening. You know, I don't have a job right now unless I'm on call that I need to consistently check my email. But I think that we're so focused on doing that because we get work emails in the evenings. But she said, you know, no one from work is going to, you know, wish you a good night and like a lullaby or anything over email. So really, there's no need to try to gain some kind of (laughs) reassurance by checking your email in the evening. So I think setting those boundaries are really, really important. And it's a good model for your child as well that you're in the moment with them. Indeed. Yes, I definitely value a couple of (laughs) tech free hours before my kids go to bed and I pick it back up again. Yeah. Yeah. So imagine you're looking out into a sea of new parent doctors. What words would you leave them with? Oh, wow. Well, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is that just remember that you can carve your own path. And, you know, you can imagine you know, a work schedule or a career that really fits both your family and your professional life. And just remember that it doesn't have to be like it's been for everyone else, that luckily we're very valued as physicians. And so, you know, if you're not in an environment that's nurturing and supportive of working families, then, you know, there are other options. And I do think that you should advocate for yourself as much as possible to try to carve out a career that fits that. For me, it was not being 100% clinical because I found that not only just too physically exhausting for me, but also the least flexible. And so I was able to find other things, including my administrative job, that has given me a lot of fulfillment and leadership experience, but also more flexibility in being a physician mom. And I think that the more that you're able to do those kind of things and advocate for yourself and find a supportive environment, the happier you will be. And then also, like I said, you know, just be kind to yourself. But I think physicians are just natural self-flagellators and are perfectionist by heart and are, give themselves a lot of hard time. But I think that just remember that this is that there's so much meaning in having a family and you deserve to enjoy that as well. Beautiful, Noelle. Thank you so much for your inspiring words and all of the reflections and advice you've provided here. It's been really a pleasure to speak with you today. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. So 
To wrap up today, I just want to invite everyone to stay tuned for our next episode of Parents at Work, where we're going to be talking to some physician dads to round out this conversation of working parents in medicine. So stay tuned for that, and we look forward to being with you next time. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Parents at Work podcast. Are you interested in learning more about our show, our hosts, or today's guest? Do you have a comment or question you'd like to share with the Parents at Work community? Then contact us at www.spigglelaw.com slash podcast. We'll see you next time.